This is Tony Silva and Charles Wiz. And this is Two Teachers Talking. Uh, this is number 38. And Two Teachers Talking, where Charles and I get together, talk about teaching, uh, different approaches that we have taken, things that have worked for us, things that have failed abysmally. Uh, but today we're talking about, uh, well, actually finishing up what's become a three-part discussion on uh, different uses of technology in the classroom. And today focusing on a uh, little more interactive participation with our students and things. So we talked about just um, getting information up online for the students in, in a general way and also specific tools that we use. And today is kind of the next step up and moving on toward like full-blown learning management systems where much more of the work is, that is done by students put online and, and communication from the teacher to the students online where you're really opening up, um, I guess, what would be considered the classroom of the future. Oh, I would call it a can of worms. Yeah, well, that's that too. <laughs> yeah, the use of technology and where things are going, where things have been. But yeah, maybe this is one way to look at it is that what will be teacher, what will teachers be using in the next 10 years? Mm-hmm. And the classroom of the future, but some this all of this is available now. It's a, it's all available now, and um, as I think as our discussion progresses, we'll find out why. Even though it's all exists right now, it might not be optimal for use right now for any number of reasons. This is true. <laughs> I mean, whether it's, you know, that's very true. <laughs> it's, yeah, especially, you know, we talked, I think, last time about how, <clears throat> you know, cautioning people in uh, starting to use some of these things. One, to, you know, of course, it's, you know, do dry runs and, and testing extensively before you try to use it. But also, you know, our students very often don't have the tech sophistication or experience. Uh, to be able to do this effortlessly, and a lot of time the teacher needs to devote a good amount of classroom time in, in basic training. And if you just have a one-semester course, it might not be the best use of your time. <clears throat> but anyway, ahead of ourselves. But even more importantly than that is just the students getting things wrong. Mm. You know, for example, if you tell them to email you in a certain way with a certain subject line, they make mistakes. It's just the way human beings are. And you have to be ready for that. I mean, I, I, after all this time, it's not really using the new tech that makes me like really frustrated. It's that students will not follow the directions. For example, send me your paper as an attachment in email, I get the paper in the email. So just buyer beware that it's not just using the tech. Well, they're going to make just... the same kind of mistakes. I mean, you tell me you write their name on the upper left-hand corner, they'll put it on the upper right-hand corner at the bottom of the page. They make the same... They Are you talking about me mistakes. or my students? <laughs> it's like <laughs> they, me. They, they make mistakes, but the consequences that are so different. They're very, you, a very good point, this, Tony. Is that... With the tech. That kind of mistake isn't just, oh, you know, draw a circle and put an arrow to where it should be. It can affect 
it's whether a, it's or not a yes you or even, no. You, you even, <laughs> right. It's will you even see the assignment? Exactly. So just um, before we start talking about all these different things is that no matter what, these things um, involve our good cousin Murphy. Right. Absolutely. And Murphy's It'll law. go wrong. Yeah, by the way, Murphy's Law was made not by Murphy. I think that's great. So, <laughs> But if something can go wrong, it will. So just be prepared. Caveat emperor, buyer beware. Okay. Yep, always. So we're going to start off, I think, talking about a variety of things today. But Yeah, and I guess at the, at the very basic level of, you know, you talk about internet interaction, teacher and student, it's sort of basically things like Facebook and Twitter and uh, more recently on the scene, uh, the uh, Google—they're not called groups. What are they called? Google Plus. circles, hangouts, hangouts, circles. No, it's isn't it Google Hangouts now? It might be Hangouts. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, don't I've, use it. I've tended to have um, what an aversion towards things like using Facebook or Google Hangouts just because of privacy issues and data mining things with my students. So, okay, so. We're going to talk about things like Facebook and Google Hangouts, and then we're going to go through some other kinds of things along the lines of um, how could you get forms or data from your students' surveys, questionnaires. Yeah, a little bit more toward the other end. So, yeah. Right. The f First part is like the Facebook, Twitter, Google Hangouts, then the survey thing, and then we're going to move into using like blogging kind of software, right? Well, blogging and more. Right. More and then blogging. finally, we're going to finish with the, the learning management system and right. kind of actually going in increased complexity. Yeah. So we're going to start with the easiest stuff to use, actually, and kind of move on to more difficult things. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, Facebook, it's, it's easy and it, it's easy because everyone knows it. it. It's so universal that people are almost everybody has a Facebook account. If they don't have one, they know what it is. It's not very difficult to get started. And for a teacher, uh, the only extra step that you need to do is to create a a private group and then have the students friend you and then invite the students to join that group. And then within that group, all the communications that are sent to and from that group, very private, separate from the main feed, and what you write to the students, what the students write to you or to each other, it all stays in that own little, its own little bubble, and it's private, and it's easily managed. It's accessible anywhere. Students can do it from home, from their phone, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's, it's very easy. But that's all there is. It's very limited. How do you use it? I have used it in the past as an option for student projects where. Uh, they have to do something in addition to the class. This is one of their choices. And basically, they're just expected to be as active as possible, um, essentially blogging uh, to their Facebook account in English, talking about, you know, what do they have for dinner? What are they doing? What did our, do they do over the weekend? Uh, whatever it is that's going on in their life. Question and answers to each other and to me. So it'd be a small group of, for example, maybe seven or eight students in the group, and I might have like two separate groups in one classroom, or maybe three if if there were if the interest uh, was there. But uh, a group of six or seven students, and they just you know sit there and write 
details about their life, their thoughts in English. And the more the more they write, the higher their grade. So, period. It's like 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 a writing journal. Okay. Except it's online. So you mainly use interactive. it for kind of having them write things and then maybe sending, letting each other, so the students can each read what the other students are writing, and right. then you can kind of send some messages back. Correct. Okay. But you said that you used to use it, or you used it before. Um, I'm just not, right this year I'm not using it, and I haven't stopped using it per, per se. I'm just not using it at the moment. It is... Um, the grading is a, a little bit of a hassle. Mm. It's not the easiest thing because you've got to go through and count the number of lines that each student's written and things. And there, there are tools that make that easier. But it's, again, it has this certain allure at the beginning. When you actually start doing it, it, it turns out to be a little bit more work. But that's not why I'm do, not doing it. I'm just, um, because of the way that, especially this semester, the way that the calendar is set up and the requirements of the various schools, we're just doing different things. Mm. Um, so there's, there's Facebook okay. One and there's Twitter. I'm sorry, oh. just to interrupt you. Um, because you mentioned about the grade is based on counting words is that whenever you give assignments like that, always ask the students to put the word count at the end in like parentheses. Sure. That's what I used to do because I used to get go crazy. <laughs> sure. But of course, be prepared. There is a student who yeah. will not, who will forget to put the word count. So, okay, so that was Facebook. Now, Twitter or Twitter, right? Twitter? <laughs> How do you say it in Japanese? I'm not going to. I don't gonna even want to start myself. that. <laughs> yeah, it's 140 characters, right? 140 or 141. <laughs> and it's unfair because in Japanese, one kanji counts as a character. You can get a whole lot of. You can get a, get a whole it's, lot it's of amazing how different a, a Japanese <laughs> post is from an English post. Yeah. And Twitter. Okay. So Twitter is what I guess we would call a micro, the, a micro blogging service. Good. Yeah. Right. Good and term. Wh what does it do? You basically can send messages about, it originally started as what are you doing right now? Wasn't that it? That's uh that's very much the way the Japanese use it. Um, they, I read an article where it, uh, they talked about, the it being uh, something where people are talking to themselves, uh, mumbling to themselves, and that's how they use it. Uh, Twitter, and it's one of those things that so many people use it in so many different ways. Yeah, that, uh, I mean it's 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 all over the place. I mean it could be. I mean some people are just read only and they just subscribe to news. It's like a news input. It's like a news feed, other, right? Other people like just you know yeah you, they, you, well you can be. Or other people just use it to post uh, political things. Uh, it could be special interest. I mean, it could be, get very, very focused. Uh, some people use it as a mini Facebook, mm -hmm. where it's a combination of different things. So it lends it's it, it's it's tabula rasa, and you can use it in all different kinds of ways. But the the short length of the message makes it less optimal, I think, for student. Uh, input because you really want them to like get beyond that. They can do that already. You want them to get longer things, things that require a little more thought, a little more structure. Although it is good for <clears throat> writing classes at the graduate level, getting students to be really precise with their language. That's oh, it's idea. always a, a, a very good tool. To, it's a good tool yeah. for that for mm. developing precision. Okay, so how have you have you used Twitter? 
In your classes? I have not used Twitter in my classes. I have um, a number of students on my in my group, my, my Twitter feed or whatever, um, but not using it for anything academic. Hmm. Yeah, because I've used it mainly as um, communicating with myself, taking notes, mm-hmm. right? Because it's um, right there and it's easy to do. But I know people who use it to send um, vocabulary, like mm-hmm. 10 words to students or five words or the word of the day or to send certain messages and they just have the students uh, follow them. And that seems like a nice way to go because everybody has a Twitter app on their smartphone. So kind of no excuse for the students not knowing what you're doing. But I think I don't really put it to too much use. Well, you had I think you had that, that good idea, the kind of a word of the day vocabulary thing. Or well, it's something? not my idea. I think other people have done it. But yeah, oh. but that's the idea where I've heard people who will send like one word per day. And they'll send the word with a definition, and then the students come into class, and there's a quiz. Mm-hmm. And it so, sounds like it sounds like a trivial thing, but something that small, that simple. Stop and consider how much extra work that is. I mean, your students are depending on you to get up every day and get that word out there. And it's fine if you get a system. You know, over the weekend, you do your get get your seven words together and just cut and paste, or even automate it some other way. But um, that's a that's a commitment, and it's it can get wrapped up with all the other commitments <laughs> that you, you know, end up making throughout the semester. So careful. Yeah, I think it's time to go down that road, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and this is the road of it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. So, for example, take something as simple as Twitter, where you're generating messages with 140 characters. Basically, let's say you want to send. What a word, new word of the day, new word of the day. Well, first, you've got to find the words. You've got to make mm. sure the words are appropriate for the student level, which is no different from the usual teaching thing. But right. you're doing it on a daily basis. And one of the things I find found out that's interesting is if you start posting to students on a daily basis, then they'll look at that kind of first thing in the morning if it's a required part of the class or it's important for the class. So you have to then get into the habit of posting onto Twitter at the same time or updating at the same time or updating on a daily basis. So you've not only do you have to be careful about the extra work and the details, you have to make a certain commitment to consistency and posting regularly on time. And so suddenly you it's very easy to see how what looks like a great educational tool and possibly is, and I think is a good, a great tool does not alleviate your work burden. (laughs) Exactly. It does the opposite. It's yeah. Computers computers do not save us time. Great time saving devices. Yeah. Computers do not save us time. (laughs) Right. Remember the idea of the myth of the paperless office. Or that ah, computers would save, we would reduce energy bills because computers would, you know, not require Xerox machines or copying machines, the printing, et cetera, et cetera. And we now know. And we'd only work four hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And look at email. (laughs) (laughs) Look at how something great has turned into a burden. I could run on that one. I'd run my favorite thing about it. Don't. No? Oh, come on. (laughs) Let me go down that route too. So anyway, the basic point here is whatever we're talking about today 
when we talk about technology, and as Tony mentioned before, you've got to pilot it, you've got to test it, you've got to you know, test drive it, and you have to test drive it with students to see how it's working. It's a lot of work. Learning it and then putting it into play and then figuring out what's working and what's not working and then just doing it is a lot of work. So we're not saying that these are labor-saving devices. Or yeah, think ahead and make sure that you're not biting off more than you can chew. And that you've, you're right. Figure out how much time and just remember it's things are going to go wrong and there's a whole range of ways that those things can go wrong. But you have to weigh that against what are the educational benefits. And too often these websites or technologies look really, really sexy. And people think, wow, that's cool. I want to use it. But people don't think, why are they using it? What are the real benefits here? So carefully weigh what are the educational outcomes you're hoping for? What kind of gains are you hoping for? What's the payoff? And I think, Tony, did I tell you that I was um, turned on to this guy, John Hattie, who's an educator out of us, um, New Zealand, now is Australia, has written some really interesting books on visible learning, and he's done major um, meta-analysis of other meta-analysis on education and what benefits um, students and what's helping and effectiveness in the classroom. And I'm just mentioning this because what he basically found out is that almost anything will make a difference in the classroom. So anything you do is going to have some kind of learning gain. So the question isn't, is there some kind of learning gain, but is it a significant learning gain? And is it non-trivial? And I think when we're dealing with technology, we have to ask ourselves, is there a non-trivial benefit to this? And is there a learning gain that is worth the time and the effort for not just you, but also for the students? So that's just something I wanted to add. Yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> There's no, no, it's true. And, I, and I've got some specific examples of that. that okay, we'll why don't you get do that? Let's run on. with that. Well, no, let's, let, let's, let's save that before the Google Forms. Oh, oh okay, okay, okay. I thought you were so, just like... So we got the Facebook and the Twitter, and then there's also... At this, at this basic level, right? Just this basic interaction where there's communication. Just. Um, is the Google Plus relatively newer service... And it also has something like it's called Google Circles, or it's called something. Oh, this else? is Hangouts. Hangouts. It's kind of like a Facebook group, basically. And it's it's the very same similar way. to the yeah. Facebook, where you you have a large group of people. Some of them are just acquaintances, some are close friends, and then you can create within like different all kinds of subgroups with different levels of privacy. Um, and you'd use that pretty much the same way that I use the Facebook group. Uh, where you, it's basically a way to communicate with your class or the, for them to communicate with you. Or in my case, what I did was to have it as a little bit of a writing assignment with, you know, interaction between among the students and between the students and myself. Um, and you had some ideas about uh, Vimeo and YouTube. For Yeah, these are just other ways of getting your information out is uh, using YouTube. For example, making a short video and posting it to YouTube. And Vimeo also gives provides people with those opportunities. And sometimes it's useful just for a mini lesson. I think a lot of people have started using it because the idea, we've talked about this before, the idea of the flipped classroom. 
yeah, yeah, is really gaining weight. But again, as we've said, the flipped classroom is kind of what a literature class or a, a philosophy class used to be. Um, and just to remind people about the flipped classroom, it's just the idea that students use their time at home, not doing homework, but doing work that will be reviewed in the class and it's preparation for what's going to be covered in the class so that you use that time not to practice what you've been taught, but to prepare yourself for what's going to occur in the classroom. So explanations, little quick videos that a teacher wants to put up to explain something, just pop it up to YouTube. You can make your own channel and then let's do, give students access to that. Vimeo also allows you to do that too. It's kind of an alternative to YouTube, but it's again, again, it seems like it's not that hard to make a video, <laughs> but to make it good and then to make sure that the quality is good so that your students don't feel like it's amateurish there's a lot of work involved but it's one way to get information out to students um, a good model though of the flipped classroom or using technology is the khan academy have you ever taken a look at that tony i've read it i have not looked at it yeah, yeah I, I know what you're talking about yeah so it's just it's i think it's k-h-a-n academy I believe, and people can take a look at that just to see how somebody uses some very um, nice technology. It's actually not it's not that complicated um, to make explanations and lessons. And the amazing thing is I found out is that the guy goes into a closet. He's doing everything inside a closet so that he doesn't get any noise interference. It's funny what we do, isn't it? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Unlike the my little barking the dog, sausage. which can kind of affect podcasts. Making the sausage. Okay, so that's YouTube and Vimeo. Have you actually done that? Have you made videos for your classes? I've done a couple of um, videos, expl ex um, explanation videos, but I used some screen, um, what would it be, screen film software? What would you call well, it? Okay. It's not screen, yeah, screen, screen, shot, ca screen, screen capture stuff. software yeah, yeah. to show students how to use a website, and I talk over it, and, you know. Yeah, I've used that, but I've never used YouTube or Vimeo, for example. No, for see, that, get, that gives me an classroom. idea. Like, for example, we talked about how we're trying to train our students to something, email, right? How to properly format the email. So YouTube of, of that, I think, saves you the classroom time, and it's always there. And it's maybe a little bit of a motivator. The kid will pay more attention to a YouTube than it will to you. Yeah, except if you're horror, the YouTube, I think it makes no difference. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure about that. You talked about what the advantages are. I think it's like the same thing, like being in the front of the classroom. But if you if you if you run the t a TV screen, they shut up and the eyes all go to the TV screen. <laughs> um, because the sure. hypnotized might, never. It lie. might be more effective to talk to your students through YouTube <laughs> than it is from the front of the classroom. Oh look, he's two dimensional. He's so much thinner. <laughs> like Max Headroom from the early. Oh wow, days. that's. <laughs> Max Flashback. Headroom. Uh, for, wow, that's going way back. That was MTV, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Early days MTV. Was it, wait, Max Headroom was actually one of the first digital, total digital creations, right? Yeah, a digital character. Yeah. A total digital character um, that was actually popular and no, and interestingly enough, a total digital character accessed through television on MTV on the cable channel. Mm -hmm. What an that's interesting right. time. Okay. 
Well, that's that's a sidetrack. <laughs> anyway, all right. So back <laughs> coming back. Okay, so, so the good now the one your favorites, right? Um, G driver, Google Drive. Yeah, that's a well, and it, Google it's Forms. A nice thing. But Tony, I'm going to take another side route here for just a second, which is people will notice that pretty much everything we recommend is free. Try, yeah, at least that it's for the most monetarily. Part, yeah. yeah, there's always a hidden cost, and with. <laughs> Google and Facebook and things like Gmail. Um, I'm sure it's going to be true for almost everything that's free. There's data mining going on. So people need to be aware that even though the material might be private, that the material is being data mined. And I think it's an important thing to let students know that that's happening, that they should know that you know the site is data mining. So for example, Google, of course, and Facebook are doing incredible amounts of data mining. So just make sure you're aware of that. So anyway, given that caveat, the Google Drive. Google Drive is um, similar to Dropbox, but what I like about it is the thing called Google Forms. Yeah, that's very, the very, really very, nice very, thing. Very and basically valuable. it's just an easy way to set up a questionnaire and have your students um, pull out their smartphones in class and answer some questions. And what's really nice about Google Drive is that it you can set it so that it automatically exports into a spreadsheet. And that's really nice. So for example, if you're at one of those schools where you go into class on the first day and there's no attendance sheets for the first three weeks, you work at a couple places like that, right? Yes. Okay. Um, what you just do is you send the students to the the link for the Google for the Google form. It's a questionnaire um, and they can fill out the information and suddenly you have a roll sheet and you have their email addresses and their student numbers and it's just cut and paste into your basic spreadsheet program. Well, at least you've got that for about half the class. Half? Because <laughs> only, only half the class is going to figure it out. Actually, no. Actually, a certain number that are going to forget. Some actually, to say Tony, it. actually. I, they just can't. They, they wrote down the URL wrong. Um, no, they do it in ones. class. They, just, they do it get in about class. Half. <laughs> they, no, they no, 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 no. I did this. I did it all in my on my first classes this semester, and um, some of the students had problems because they would put the URL or the name of the website into the Google search, and it might not show up. But I got pretty much every student. Did you? And That's what's impressive. nice about it, though, well, what's nice is that it's you can create drop down menus. So, you know, choose the class as the drop-down menu, and it has required fields. So if the student submits, um, the form kicks back and tells... Oh, it's a great form. No, no, the form... But I'm saying I had, I had very the students good... students getting to do it, or getting doing it correctly is, is the hassle. It wasn't so but bad. No, the forms I'm itself saying, are, are Surprisingly, fantastic. it wasn't so bad, Tony. I great. mean, most of the students got it really well. So I think it can work, but it's a fantastic service. And what's really nice is that it offers six kinds of questions, but there's like almost no limit. And for each survey, for example, it's I think up to almost like a thousand responses. Okay. Um, and it's very, and very flexible, which yes. is real nice about it. And you can, yeah, and it's f fairly sophisticated. So for it's example, not a over, it's simple to use actually, but it's, yeah, but it has can, a lot it's of. It's very um, simple to do a basic one, but it can grow with you. It's expandable. 
and it, it's very nice, very nice, and very, for free. It's yes, a very nice it's, school. Again, whatever we're recommending is usually free. And what I'm going to do from April is I'm going to have um, my, my student questionnaire, the evaluation, and it's going to be lesson by lesson. And I'm going to have at students at the last five minutes of the class just go on and evaluate the lesson. You know, were the teaching goals clear? Was the objectives and goals of each lesson clear? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have week by week feedback instead of having to wait to the end of the year to get the responses back and a student evaluation. So I think that's a nice way to do it. You can use it for tests, for quizzes, a whole lot of things. So people to take a look, it's a very, very nice, flexible and a sophisticated instrument that can be of benefit to people. Very, very nice tool. Yeah, I very highly recommend that. Really nice. Yeah, it's one of Google's better things, I think. Well, I don't know. I mean, other people might have no, no, opinions, I agree. but it's something I that Absolutely. I really like it, by It's them. very, very useful. It is. And the flexibility of the question types for multiple choice or, you know, to fill in the blank, et cetera. It's great. It's great. And then there's the other one, which is SurveyMonkey, right? SurveyMonkey. You just is, used that the other day, didn't in you? In some ways, very similar, but um, some ways very different. It's a, it's a much simpler... Uh, and and consequently more limited tool for creating online surveys. In some ways, it's less intimidating. It's it's maybe a little bit easier, but it's much more limited. And I think it's better, best suited for someone who's really not interested in in jumping into the water yet. Um, you know, they just kind of want to get wet a little bit. And if you want to jump in and jump out, and you're going to use like use it a surveys maybe twice a year four times a year then maybe this is a good way to go because the learning curve isn't quite as steep uh the reporting the the reporting isn't quite as flexible but they do give you like little charts and and things with in regard to the responses to the survey um so it's a it's it's good it's simple but it's a much smaller scale type service. Mm. That's a good point. And something that I'm going to add again, as I go off onto a, a tangent or another side road here, or actually taking the off ramp off the highway, is that you can Google anything. So if you start using SurveyMonkey or Google Forms and you Google how to use it, there'll be lots and lots of helpful and not so helpful information available to you. But what I've discovered is over time by trying to learn these things, and I usually t- teach myself via Google, finding tutorials, etc., is that after a while you'll learn to be able to read the descriptions and know whether or not to click on that um, link for help. That, oh sure, that's yeah, yeah. really your, one of the most search, frustrating things, will right? Get much exactly. more finely honed. So, because in the beginning, if you start learning these or trying these, and then you s- use Google to find out how to use it better, um, a lot of the websites are just—I'm sorry to say—useless. Yeah, yeah. People's postings are just, answers. or you know, they'll say something and they'll assume a high level of knowledge, and you know, or it's like the math teacher, for example, who you know gives you the problem and then puts the answer and says it's obvious isn't it and you kind of have 20 <laughs> steps jumped or skipped so be patient it takes a little bit of time but once you start doing it it gets easier and you find out that there are certain sites you'll go to or you'll learn to ignore certain sites because the advice they 
provide or the information they provide is not helpful. But yeah, SurveyMonkey is a good way to go if you want to start doing questionnaires or surveys and like kind of dip your toe into the water. But Google Forms, that really will give you a lot of flexibility. It's a great tool. Okay, so we've kind of covered those two. All right, so yeah, there's a so taking like a, a, another step, getting a little bit more specialized into education and things. There's um, a service called online service called EduBlog, mm. E D U B L O G, and it kind of has the basic functionality of the Facebook group or the Google Circles or Hangouts, but it's much more private it's it's very limited it's limited to you and your students and it's focused much more on a central location for student teacher collaboration it also uh allows students to post publish their work or whatever project that they're working on uh it also has some limited uh services for surveys and quizzes as well. Um, the advantage is that for, for a teacher, all this would be in one spot. So you wouldn't have a Facebook group and then like the Google Hangouts, uh, yeah. survey and things and, and having to go through different things. If you take a look at it and you think that this is works for you, it could be a, a good answer because everything's in one place. And you know when you don't want to deal with it, you just don't open it, and it's not bleeding off over into into all your personal email or in or your Facebook account or clogging your Twitter feed or anything else. It's all isolated, uh, which adds to the privacy. The other thing is, is that yeah, the, the Facebook groups are private, and the Google Hangouts are private, but there's still that sense that they're they're kind of out there, and the students might be a little bit leery. Um, is like, you know, kind of worried about who's can see, not see that. No matter how much you reassure them, or how much you can reassure them, uh, because we don't know either. But uh, uh, something like this with this EduBlogs, where it really is a completely isolated environment and not part of a big public uh, forum, uh, gives it a different feel, and uh, you've got a little bit more control over it. And the tools are more specifically focused toward um, educational needs. Mm. And at the same time, that might also sometimes limit you. If you, you know, if you're an experimenter and a tweaker and yet you, you want to do things your own way, maybe this is, that is not work for you because you're going to be, you know, constrained by the limitations of the, of the format that, that they've created. But it, it for someone who's, willing to abandon a little bit of control in exchange for a little more convenience and ease, this might be uh, a good option. So this it's is not bad. It's free. And then they have a um, pro version, which offers more features and services. I think it's about $5 a month. And then they have an, uh, an option like for schools who want to buy into the whole thing. So a few weeks ago, uh, Lawrence, who's trying to get his junior high school or his high school kind of in step with the 21st centuries and asked us about how to go about things. This might be might be something to look at, if not to actually choose, but to kind of give a focus of you know what's out there, uh, what the potentials are, what the fallbacks are, and 
is one of the things like, okay, we want something like this, but we need A, B, and C, or this has all this stuff that we really don't need. It's a, a good way to maybe look at it and see what's possible. And, and it's all in a single package. So worth a look. Worth a look. I did use this once. Um, I think for... that's, the, that's the operative term. I did use this once. <laughs> I was <laughs> well, going to say because exactly I was doing that. Something for a very specific use. Right. Uh, it was an internet English class. And the class, I give my classes lots of um, you know freedom to choose what they want to do. They wanted to do blogs. Uh, I determined this was the... For that class, for me at that time, this was the best tool. And for individual student blogs, this is that was completely isolated. It was very private. Um, they were not intimidated by it. It was easy to set up. This was perfect for that. But I don't do that much, hmm. specifically student blogs as assignments. Right? But for them, for this, it was perfect. And it does, but it does allow you students to send their assignments up and post. And the privacy controls can be tweaked very nicely, very finely. So, for example, you can set it up so that for a class and only people in that class get access. But you can also set up like a certain page that's open to the public. Sure. So, so it's, it's, what you might want to do that, for example, right. if students do things, you know, they write a paper or a poem or a song or something, and you and, put it up there. And then you ask yeah. them if they don't, if they mind if it gets put up, you know, because you think it's really good. So, but the thing here, again, Tony, as you said, that you used it once <laughs> or you used to use it, is that when you use these things, it's really important that it's not really, to use the, the car buying analogy, you don't really need to test drive the car because that's not going to tell you enough about this. It's, you've got to have that car for a long time, for a couple of weeks before you really know the car, for example. And it's the same thing with using these tools. You just can't use them for a week or two um, and really know what's going on, unless they're just so horrible in the beginning, so poorly designed. I think you've got to try it out for at least one class or a, a half a semester to see whether or not something's really working, because there's a learning curve in learning how to effectively use these things. So I try to be patient and take a while before I decide to throw something away and not just toss it away because it doesn't seem to work in the beginning. There's a number of things that initially didn't seem to work and worked really well over time, and things that I thought worked really well in the beginning did not work over time. So when you're trying these things out, make sure it's a really long test drive, for example. So you give the software or the site a chance. And uh, in that vein, in terms of like things that work and things that don't work and the test drives and so forth, kind of at the other end of the spectrum is something like WordPress, where you're in complete control and you kind of work from, I mean, there are templates and things, but basically you decide what you want to do and what you uh, can, can't do, where, where you want to go. And you've had some experience with that, right? Yeah, I'm using WordPress right now, and um, it's it's there's a learning curve involved. It's pretty steep, actually. It's not as easy as I thought it would be, but that's what I'm using now. And I'm actually going to yeah, talk I've, about that I've, I've, a little I've bit. I've tried to work with WordPress a couple of times, and 
got halfway through something, I was it was a fairly steep leaving, <laughs> steep learning curve, and I was, I was I was having a hard time with it. it was it, it got hard enough? And I says, well, I'm going to put this aside and I'm going to do something else. Yeah, I think for the basic simple things, um, it took me about half a day. You know, on a Sunday, Sunday mm-hmm. morning, waking up and then just sticking with it and figuring it out and tweaking it and learning things. But now I've kind of gotten it down and I'm, we're going to talk a little bit later about um, things like Moodle and stuff. And, you know, I went from Moodle to WordPress basically, but it's easier to use, for example, than like Moodle. Um, it seems to be serving purposes pretty well, but I'm combining it with a special email address where students are submitting their assignments. So I'm using it differently than I would use, let's say, something more complex like Moodle. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But WordPress, I think they also will host you. In other words, um, they have their website and you can use WordPress. But again, it's kind of the difference between Google Forms and SurveyMonkeys. One is easier to use, but it's limited in what you can do. The other is more difficult to use, but it gives you a lot more freedom and you can really tweak it to your heart's desire. Yeah, WordPress, you're basically on your own. I mean, you do whatever you want. You can, yeah, you're, there's no limits of anything. Right. And what's nice about both Edublogs and WordPress is that there's a lot of support. There's a lot of information available out on the net, which is nice. And a lot of people who are educators and teachers have used both, and you can get a lot of information about how to effectively use them. But again, if you're just starting out, Edublogs is a good way to go. And then, yeah, WordPress not for the beginner, yeah, not for the faint of heart. Right. You would go from Edublogs to WordPress. But I you, I don't know if there's anybody who goes from WordPress to Edublogs. I, no, no. I don't know. You, I could be wrong there. If you mastered WordPress, you wouldn't, you wouldn't step down, I don't think. Right. Yeah, it's really so. You uh, you're do. the you're the Moodle expert. No, uh, I'm not a Moodle expert. Move on expert. to the, uh, L- the the big the, the big boys LMS. The elephant in the room. Yeah, yeah. learning management systems. Yeah, these are things like um, in the United States would be comparable to Blackboard, mm-hmm. where the, the whole schools run on these. And right. Moodle again is just an open source free LMS, and. Basically, you can do pretty much everything. It's kind of like a combination of Google Forms, Facebook, um, Edublogs, WordPress, um, everything put together. It has grading functions. It has more things than you can imagine. It has an incredible amount of flexibility, uh, allows you to create um, classes and private classes, good degree of privacy. Nothing's being data mined because usually you're running it on a server or as I was doing, running it on a server out of my office. Let's you do a lot of things. Forums, students can post forums. You can send out emails to students with just um, a couple of clicks. Allows you to monitor students' access to the website, how you know much time they're spending. You can put quizzes, you can put tests, you can put your materials up. Pretty much, you can do almost everything. So, why would I use anything else? Ah, grasshopper. <laughs> <laughs> the important question. It it's, sounds like it can do it all. <laughs> it's really, it's really nice in what it can do, and I just found it. Number one, to be not as easy to use as I would like. 
Um, and I should preface this with saying I tend to tweak things. I mean, I'm not scared to get under the hood and work on things. The learning curve was steep. It was not an easy thing to learn. Um, and I'm not talking about hosting and I'm just saying using it. It took time. I was spending a lot of time on forums trying to figure out how to do things. It's not maybe the best design system if one is really critical about user interfaces and, as I said, ease of use. But, and this is the big but, the real reason I stopped using it was nonstop student complaints about it being difficult to use and to navigate. And we're talking about students whose native language is not English navigating a website. Well, and, that all by itself is a is right. A, it's a biggie, which talks <laughs> a lot about simplified websites and you know ease of use. And I think there's a very good chance that I didn't learn how to use Moodle properly. I used it for three or four years, and there are themes, and you can adjust it. But trying to get just an easy way for students to navigate and get to things was difficult, and they just didn't like it. And the worst part of it um, was having students enroll into the class because a lot of times, again, I didn't have teach student lists. I didn't have roles, role sheets with the students' names and student numbers, or, and then you'd have to manually enter them and then allow the students in. The registration process was mm. took two to three weeks to figure out with some of the students. Mm. Students would forget passwords. Students would forget their user IDs or they'd lose something or other. So it just was a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of work. And after a while, I got tired of all the extra work and the students didn't particularly care for the user interface. But if you can make it work, if you have the time, the energy and the, I guess, mental approach or mental outlook that allows you to work with something like that, the opportunities are endless. Yeah, and the time. And the time. <laughs> but it's designed by educators. This is a very, very important thing. Unlike Facebook or Google Hangouts, this is a system that was designed by educators, and they basically state that it's a it's based on constructivist theories of learning. Um, I had a hard time getting my students to communicate with each other and not doing just what I asked them to do. You know, they never, in all those years, and it's, I'm gonna take full responsibility, I probably didn't set the situation up or create the proper atmosphere, instruct them properly, but they just wouldn't use it as a tool for communicating with each other. They just preferred to use email or meeting up. So I just, after a while, the benefits were outweighed by significant disadvantages, primarily the amount of time and energy getting it running and getting students to access it and then having them not like it in their complaints. Yeah, when you've got when you got user complaints and when it's not user friendly and it it's painful for the un, user to use, then you yeah, it really undermines the effectiveness of the uh, the tool because they're just uh, whatever great how great it is, if the, they're not going to use it, then what good is it? Um and that's too bad because um certainly looking at it, I mean I have I've never used it. In, my, in a class, but looking at it, it 
so extremely powerful. Very, very there's powerful. A, there's there's a lot of stuff that you can do, and it's yeah, it's potential unrealized, I guess, at this point. But actually, uh, I don't think so. I think if you're at a sorry to interrupt, Tony, but if you're at a school, for example, where other teachers are using Moodle, for example, mm-hmm. and okay. every day the students know that two, you know, that they have like fifteen classes a week, and eight of those classes are using Moodle, for example, then it's a totally different experience. They're getting a lot of use out of it. They're getting a lot of explanations. But I'm talking about being the only teacher I know in my school or in my faculty who's teaching English and other topics who's using Moodle. That's a big negative. In other words, if you're the, their students are only seeing you once a week, and you're the only teacher doing it, then that's, right. that's and a then, different thing. But if it's part of their natural environment, then, then it's, a, that's, it's that's a great a, thing. That's a huge step yes. forward that, that you don't need to deal with because they're, they're on it all the time anyway. That, that, that's huge. Yes. And if there's somebody else, if there's a technical person who's running the Moodle site and handling the registrations and a few other things, it's great. But I think yeah, and this is this is kind of the our, our our listener Lawrence that wrote to us, you know, asking for help. And it's like, well, this is this is really a big part of the problem. Is like you don't you're not operating in a vacuum. Uh, you've got the basic sophistication of the students at one level, but also what they're being exposed to or what's expected them of them, and, and there are other classes at the school that you're at makes a huge difference in what you can ask them to do or expect them to do successfully because mm. that can be such a big a big difference right how much competency a competency are they going to develop if you're the only person doing something or using something or if your class is the only reason for them to go there right but if they're on there for half of their classes or three-fourths of their classes it's the chances are much greater that they're going to like engage and, and be active in it because there's so many other things parts. happening going on. But if it's just your class, it's one of 15 classes that they've got. Um, it's pretty easy to like to shuffle it off into into the corner until oh geez, I got Wiz Sensei's class in an hour. I better I better log in and see what's going on. Exactly, and the. Other aspect of this, and talking, you know, following up on what you said, Tony, about competency and how well they get to use it. If, let's say, eight out of 15 classes are using Moodle and it has the same layout and the students are using it for each of the classes, then they're going to start playing with a couple of the, um, what am I, um, not benefits, but, you know, the features. They're going to sure, try sure. new they'll things. Start, they'll start playing, they'll right. start they'll exploring. exploring. and experimenting. But if they only have it for one class, they're, they're not, not spending enough right, time on it to get to exactly. that level. Exactly. They're not spending level. enough time on the site to become competent users. And Moodle, which is incredibly powerful, it's just, it's it's true, that there must be some relationship, some inverse relationship between how powerful something is and how difficult it is to use. Welcome to Photoshop. Ah, that's why I gave <laughs> up using Photoshop. And I started, yeah, that, right. That's what happens is people who have the time and the energy and the need learn Is there any one person who knows that everything that Photoshop can do? There, actually, that's a great point. There's actually supposedly nobody. <laughs> <laughs> There's no one person who knows. So that's the major argument I have about Moodle, and it's why I went to WordPress, which 
after Moodle. WordPress is really easy, by the way. But <laughs> it doesn't have all the features. It doesn't have all yeah. the um, bells and whistles and tweakability and the great things that Moodle offers. But the students are not complaining. And the students who have had my classes and used the Moodle site and are using my the WordPress site are just like, oh, this is so much easier to use. And it's easier to submit assignments because it's a simpler process. Um, so, yeah, I guess. I, I stumbled on something, you know, that um, kind of halfway in between. It's like something that you don't have to host yourself, right? You don't need a server. It's, it's online. It's on the Internet. Anyone can get at it. And it's... Um, it's free. It's 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 unlimited free. Free for teachers, for students. I know what you're going to talk about. And for about. schools, yeah. Edmodo. Yeah, and you know much more Edmodo. about this than I do. Well, I haven't. I've never actually used it. It does like, look. Yeah, I don't good. have it. it. Does I haven't used it either? But it looks really it, good. It looks good. It feels good. I don't have it. I don't have a need for it. So I haven't instituted it. But it's it's very Moodle-ish in that it's got all kinds of power, all kinds of features, all kinds of different things. And it, it, it combines like some of the things we talked about before with the Edge of Blog. So it's easy to create a group and then send an email to the students, inviting them to the group so they don't need to go on anything kind of a special uh, registration procedure. It's, it's, it's quite easy. It's a spot for interactive communication with the teacher and the students. So you can send, it to send messages to individual students, you can send them to the group. Um, it allows students to to post their work. It and I did something I did. I just realized very recently. Uh, it connects with Google Drive. Really? Yeah, yeah. So you can anything you put up on Google Drive, you can connect to the Edmodo, which is a big, big plus, right? So you create the, the tool, the uh, the survey or the form on Google uh, Google Drive, and then connect to it from Edmodo. Pre pretty pretty neat stuff. Um, you can create quizzes. Uh, the kids can do quizzes online. It grades the quizzes for you. <laughs> uh, wait, 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 wait. That sounds really great, doesn't it? it and it's free. It grades the quizzes for you, but you've got to put the answers in and you've got to write the questions, right? Sure. And it can only grade multiple choice or true, false, right? Of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just, yeah, it's got to be objective. It's not going to. Uh, sorry, we're just going. <laughs> yeah, it, unless, of course, something's using latent semantic analysis, right? <laughs> kind of in the same way that um, essays are being uh. assessed, right? There is that, but anyway, I just wanted to say again. Yes, yes. Don't jump right. and go. You're oh, yeah. Right there, it's got to be objective. A, B, C, D, true, false. Right. That's a lot of work, mate. Putting a quiz online. But anyway, yeah. I interrupted you. But please continue. And then, about the, the, Edmodo. the bigger number of students you have, the more. It makes sense. So, for example, if you are the coordinator of a program and you have eight teachers and each teacher is teaching three classes, you got 24 classes of 20 to 30 students each, and at the end of the semester, everyone's got to take the same test, it's probably worth the time to put into this because um, they all take the test, they all get, get graded at once, and then you've got this incredible data to play with for your research paper over the break. Mm -hmm. So it's a, and, and again, the, the thing that was very, very struck me that it was like free for schools too. So Lawrence, are you listening? Edmodo uh, won't cost your school a penny. And, Is it free um, for schools? What about schools? Yes. Yeah. Schools for, and I don't districts, know. right? What's well, that? School districts have to pay, right? No. no, 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 it's totally free. Individual schools and school districts. It just, it's just there. 
And I don't know how they. Is do there that. a size limitation on how many classes? No, or? I didn't. I saw. I saw no limits. So it's a kind of you're saying it kind of is like Moodle and easy to use. Kind of like that. Huh. I'm sure it's not quite as powerful as Moodle, and there's certain limitations because it's a, it's all in a, just like an it's a it's a web app, right? So it's not like you download the application to your own computer and then you have like unlimited resources. You're limited to what you can do interacting with the you know the server through the web interface. So that's going to limit a lot of what you're able to do. But um, it does a lot. It does a lot. It looks very impressive. I liked it. If I, if if I was going to. Uh, integrate something like this in any of my classes anytime soon, this would be, I think, my first stop to take a look at and see if this worked. Okay. Just a question, though. Do you think that some schools would be, or some universities or schools would be upset that student information is being stored non-locally in the cloud? They might. That's something to to consider. Some schools might really have an issue with that uh, you know but you know <laughs> that's kind of the school's problem i mean i have a school whose policy who has a policy that students cannot submit their work by email huh this is not my problem this is the school's problem <laughs> so do you have the students submitting by email the students cannot submit. This is the school. No, I said this is the school policy. Okay. The school policy is that students cannot submit work by email. Of course, they submit their work to me by email, but that's the school policy. So yeah, I'm sure What's there's the a lot of schools that would be very upset about having the information stored offline. Um, What's the justification you, for a rule like that? I don't. Yeah. Ignorance. Um, and you know also, I mean, stu- the school's uh, policies regarding, like, for example, entrance examination questions, Nushi type things, there are still schools that do, will refuse to do any of that online. They give it to you on a, wait for it, floppy disk. And yeah, yeah, because I was asked to help with uh, a Nushi, a new uh, uh, entrance examination. How many? And, how many? This is like a decade and a half ago. No, this is like floppy three years disc, ago. The floppy disk. This is three years ago. They actually three years wait, ago. They actually three years ago. A, a floppy. Three years ago. A floppy. Broken record. <laughs> floppy broken disc, record. A floppy, floppy disk. Disc, three years ago. Floppy disk. Floppy disk. Floppy disk. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, says, yeah, I had to come in and do recording for you know the listening portions. And they said, well, you know, just just email the script. Oh, sorry, Sensei, we can't do that. I said, uh, well, maybe you know, I got a secure. Said, no, we can't do that. He said, well, we can, we can mail you a floppy disk. <laughs> I go, jeez. Oh, so there people, you go. Right. So, yeah, Lawrence, we know, we know your difficulty. You're not alone out there, Lawrence. You're not alone. <laughs> Other people have shared in the frustrations. But Yeah, so I'm sure, I'm sure the schools, if they had any inkling of what it meant that the data was being stored uh, externally rather than on either their servers or your own computer – uh, I'm sure they'd be upset because they don't understand encryption and the way that different things work. And um, right, that documents you know, can be you know, you know, the, the top secrecy of the quizzes you're giving your students. But um, yeah, I'm sure they'd be upset. But 
you know, whether or not you're going to actually try to convert a whole school to the system versus just using it in your own classes. It's, it's kind of a different thing. And that's a real point, which is we're lucky as educators that there's a high level of independence that we have. Oh, and yeah. make use of that independence. We talked about that very early on. It's right. like very much so. Yeah, don't try to convert, like, convince the school to do something. If you want to do something, just use it in your classroom. You don't need approval. Um, yeah, and it's it's always easier to apologize after the fact than it is to try to get permission up front. That's a... Sorry, Allison. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to pay for that. <laughs> Oh yeah, exactly. I know, I know, I know. Those are those. You are the... can't, you can't tell those teachers that. Oh, sorry. Right, 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 right. Those are words I would never utter to my wife. It's easier <laughs> to apologize after than to ask for, because yeah, for those people again who have not been outside of or have been who are outside of Japan and haven't been here, um, the joke is sometimes we call it three M, right? Muzukashi, Mendoksai, and Muri. When you ask for things, it's either <laughs> right. It's yep. problematic, right? It's difficult, or it's just not possible. But and, and not necessarily express that clearly at any point. But right, that's yeah, it's nice when it's expressed that M's. clearly. Actually, it's nice when it's expressed that clearly. <laughs> but the point is that there's not a rule saying that you can't do something. Then there's not a problem for using it in the classroom. And I mean, don't please listeners and view everyone else just don't, you know, get on my case for that. I think everybody understands what I mean is that if you want to use technology, then unless there's an obvious school rule that you've been informed about, I think it's pretty fair for you to go ahead and use it. Yeah, absolutely. But you got to be careful. Posting, push the envelope. Yeah, and right. of course, you don't want to, you don't want to go out there and start failing people because they made technological mistakes. That's a real important thing. I mean, yes. don't, you know, you use the technology, but don't make the use of the tech part of the grade criteria. I mean, it's a tool. It's, it's like a blackboard. It's, it's something that you're going to use. Don't, don't fail a kid because he can't write on the blackboard. It's you separate the two, right? And use it when it makes sense. Use it when it's useful. Uh, when you're doing something radical, use discretion, common sense. Yeah, discretion's a good a good thing to use. So, for well, example, you know, it's if a you, survival tool, right? If you're going to use any of these off-site you know, hosted services, for example, where these information is being not held locally for example don't post final grades onto those websites the grades never do that for example yeah so for example if you're using some of these services you're going to get the grades all digitally right I mean, you might you might have it set up all their quizzes are graded you get the average and you're going to get that information don't post it don't post it onto the website right yeah exactly that's just one of those things that plays safe and that if somebody argues and says, well, we think there are privacy issues, you say, students are sending me their homework, I'm communicating with them. Uh, we have, they're sending their email with either student numbers or not, but there's no information being posted that reveals anything about them that could be hacked, right? Correct. So I think you got to be careful about posting, don't post grades, let the school post the grades. They're very, and they're very serious about that. So mm -hmm. that's that's I think the only real thing you need to be careful about. Otherwise, it's not too much of a problem. And I think most schools are finally catching up, except for yours, which prohibits email. That's well, uh, I'm not I'm not. Oh, actually, I'm there. Yeah, yeah, they still do that. Yeah, I'm still at that school. Wow. 
that's kind of frightening. Okay, so we've <laughs> basically, I think what we're saying is there's some good tools that are pretty easy to use and have re and a good amount of uh, applicability. Yeah, you got to, I think, a real, take a real good look and see exactly what you're trying to do and then try and find what the best tool is. You might be happy with something just very simple like Facebook, Facebook groups or the Google Hangouts. Um, certainly the Google Forms are really nice, really nice middle ground. But maybe if you, if you don't like fiddling a lot, um, SurveyMonkey may serve your needs just as well. Um, if you're looking for more like student blogs, the EduBlog might be a, a good answer. Uh, if you've got a lot of time on your hands and you love to get your hands down into the bits, Moodle uh, yeah. might be a way to go. If you really want and, a real powerful tool. Yeah. And uh, yeah, if you're doing heavy-duty research and you're finishing your PhD and you really need some massive stuff and you want to do like a wide-scale thing, that would be might be a way to go. Edmodo is a looks real great. good thing to look at. It looks great. Uh, but whatever one you, whichever one you choose, maybe like you know, to general by up at the beginning, go slow. Um, dry run everything. Try to think it, it as much in advance as you can. All the steps, all the try to you know, you'll never think of it all, but try to think of all the things that could go wrong, and, and then watch yourself be surprised things. by things that are beyond your imagination. <laughs> yes, and you'll still be surprised. I mean, you you sit yes, there and yes. you rack your brain, and you have like pages and pages of stuff, and stuff that you've never thought about it will still go wrong. Um, it's stuff that's completely out of your control. For example, I mean, it's, it's stupid, stupid stuff, right? Um, I have a listening class. I have weekly assignments. I find things on the online for them to listen to during the week, whether it's a file that I have uh, on my website or whether it's a YouTube. I use a URL shortener so to make the URL uh, very bit easy, late. make it much less likely to make a mistake. So it's, you know, whether it's SNURL or whether it's bit.ly, and so you have like that. And then you have the name of the school and the date. Well, the students using uh, their phone, and I won't say the name, name of the provider, but they're using a certain provider, and their DNS service does not recognize the URL shortener, so they don't get to the website. When they, they put in the website URL correctly, and it, they, get a, they get a 404, so this, web, this website doesn't exist. The kid next to them pumps in and says, it's fine. No, it's fine. It's all right. There's no way that you can control <laughs> what the what the provider uh, is doing with its DNS okay. domain name service. Um, That's a great, how, great. I would never uh, guess yeah. that. And so you you have to have a backup. You say, okay, if you have a problem with this, this is my email address. And then you send them the original URL, or you try to get a copy of it, put it on your own site, and give them the raw URL there. All this kind of stuff that you just did not bargain for. It's gonna it's gonna it's going to come up. <laughs> it's going to come up. So take care of the stuff that, that you can control. Make sure that everything that you can account for is accounted for. And what I would suggest is when you pilot it, let's say you decide you want to use one of these things. And as you pointed out, Tony, it's just, right? I would never have guessed that one cell phone provider doesn't accept the shortened URLs. That's just, exactly. I've never thought of that in a million years. Exactly. So what you should do, and this is a good way, is 
pilot the use of these with one class or maximum two classes the first time. And if you're only going to choose one class, choose a lower level English class because that'll help you really figure it's out stress the test. Bus. Yeah, it's a, well, it's a stress <laughs> test, number one, but it's going to help you find out what are the kind of errors. Because what you do is you go ahead and let's say you're teaching an advanced class of students who are returnees. Well, they're understanding most of what you're saying. They can read things. The mistakes they make are going to not be representational of what's going to actually happen in a real deployment. So try to pilot with you know, intermediate or lower level language learners, and you will f be able to figure out what's working and what's not. But also, it'll force you to simplify your user interface. And there's yeah, no argument and, against that. Yeah, yeah, very, very true. And I'm going to say something that's going to sound like a contradiction, but really isn't. Well, that'll be it's a part first. Of, it's, it's other side of the, <laughs> that'll be the it's other time. side of the coin. Yeah, is that before you put any spring anything on your students, make sure that they've got the just the basic raw sophistication to handle the stuff so it, it, it kind of seems to contradict your, your testing with the low class but no um, you want to make sure that what you're asking students to do is doable by those students so you really need to match what you're asking uh, students to do with their level and you, and, you, and you might be surprised at how much you need to tweak that and bring it down okay it's um, mm, a great point don't ask, don't ask them to do what they can't do. Right, right. And ask them to do what they can do and use what they have. Get your students to take out their smartphones in class. Have them interact with the website when you're explaining it. Have them register. Have them sign up. Have them go and make sure that everyone has, is on the same page. I think that the days are over where you tell your students don't take your, your smartphones out of your bag. I, oh, I, have, yeah. I want my students oh. with their smartphones on their desks now. Make use of that technology because it will speed things up instead of showing them how to use the website and then sending them home. Doesn't and work. Then, Doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, that, that's a, that's a no-brainer. Uh, absolutely. Yes, I'm I mean, glad those, that I've the, said those, that. Those, no those smartphones are just such valuable tools. And you, the last place you want them is in the bags. But I still I, – I, Tony – I, can, I know. I can't believe how many teachers are shocked when I tell them I want. I ask students take your cell phones out and put them on the table. Use them during class. Yeah, I, I'm like, not shocked. You allow you allow cell phones. It's it's. I don't know. No, it's cool. It's cool. I mean, I, and my my Thursday class where they've got to do weekly research and stuff. All all my the, the study guides that I made for them and the their answers and their research. It's all on their phones. I put them into discussion groups. They got they sit down. They put out the textbook and their phone is right there and it's open and they've got all their notes. Right. But what what's what's there to object to? Right. I, I, don't, I don't. I know. It. I know. I know. But anyway, and then the last thing. The last thing maybe is one caveat, whether, whether you, what you decide to do with the knowledge is, is up to you, but do check out what the school policies are. Know what they are and then make your decision whether or not how far you want to explore the limits of those policies well put. Uh, so just know what you're setting in getting into you don't want to for example in your syllabus put out course requirements that are in direct conflict with the school's policies exactly 
Um, I mean, again, common sense, but it's one of those things that, you know, it's kind of going to come back and bite you <laughs> if you don't do it. Right. But on the flip side of that, and you know where I'm going with this, mm. <laughs> is that you also should have a certain amount of freedom as an instructor and that there's a certain responsibility on the part of the school to inform its instructors what the policies are. Right. And I don't know whether or to what degree it's the responsibility of an instructor to say, what are the limits on technology that I can use? The school should have a policy and they should be providing the instructors with that policy in a very upfront way. Yeah, we're not getting to shoulds. Shoulds, woulds, coulds. But <laughs> I'm just saying that if you haven't... Of course, if, of course. Because yeah, no one knows what the policies are until you break them, and then they tell you that you... You broke the policy, policy, and then you, you apologize. You would never until you're right, broken. Right, right, exactly. And uh, this is very true, too. I, you know, Again, being in Japan, you go and ask what's the policy, and people say, well, there really isn't any policy, and then you go ahead and do something, and then you're told that you just broke the policy. There you go. Right? I mean, you know that that's not, that is not an isolated incident. No, no, that's the way it works. So I'm just saying, I think that be careful, be discreet. Don't put like grades up, make sure that there's no personal information. Um, I tell my students, for example, that they should never post phone numbers, right? Things like that. But I've always used a closed system and because the Moodle system was running out of my office, um, I didn't have to worry about that, but now with WordPress, where it's being ho- um, and I'm being hosted on a, a hosted service, you have to be a little bit careful. But again, measure what you're doing, measure what the outcomes are, and then ask yourself: Are the costs and benefits and the return on your investment worth it? And you won't know until you try some of these for a little while. Give them a that's, chance. That's very very true. But one other thing too is if it's difficult, if it's after a while, if it's frustrating you and frustrating the students, move on. Move on. Just because it's a technology and it's new and everybody's raving about it, that doesn't mean you should continue to use it. Yeah, you got to know when to bail. Right. Yeah. Regardless, whether it's a tech issue or it's other thing, we've, we've talked about this it before. Is right. If it's not working, Something's not bail. working, you do not Move do, on. Get off the horse. Yes. Get off the horse. Do something and, else. But don't feel bad. Don't. You know, because no. I've I've bailed on some things, and people say, "Well, you didn't give it a chance, or you didn't learn it well enough." And my response was, "Listen, after six months, if I'm still trying to learn how to use something, I don't think it's necessarily me." Right. Right. I want to be, a, and ease of use is really important. And all these technologies, by the way, Moodle, um, WordPress, um, I think Edmodo, whatever. These are recent things. We haven't had a lot of experience using these. And so nascent technology, it's, it's all, it's all flexible. It's all plastic. It's all under development things. It's changing very, very quickly. Right. And that's, that's the part of the fun of it. Right. Yeah. Do you remember VCRs and remember how difficult it was to program a VCR to record? And, or any of the, any of the early most remote controls I, to, re, right. to, to try to program anything. Yeah, most yes. people didn't didn't even they bother. They couldn't set the time. But, they could, they forget recording a show. They couldn't set the time on it. Right. There was oh, the blinking 12. Right, 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 right. Good point. <laughs> zero, 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 blank. And blank, how many blank, years blank. did it take for someone to manufacture a video recorder that just had record, play, fast forward, rewind, pause buttons? And... And a timer that showed how far you were into the video. So 
a good rule to follow is find the simple things that have really go to the home page and if the home page is designed cleanly if it's clear in its explanation and it has the information easily accessible it's easy to navigate it's easy to go deeper if you want that's a good way to approach something and say ah maybe this is what i want to explore but if you find yourself digging around and not sure how to get the information you want from the web page that's a pretty good indicator that the good indicator for the sure. system you're going to use is not going to be the easiest one to use so i'm going to end on that note yeah yeah i think i think we've covered it all it's like i think and you're right there the uh, the web page the, the intro it's a very good indicator if it if it looks spooky at the top it's probably not going to get any better <laughs> as you start digging in. <laughs> okay. So I think that's a good point, and it's a good way to end. So, yeah. So we are Charles Wiz, Tony Silva, Two Teachers Talking, at Two Teachers Talking.com, Two Teachers Talking at Gmail.com, on iTunes, Two Teachers Talking, and there's a pattern Skype. here, and Skype, Two Teachers Talking. Thanks a lot, Tony. I think we've yeah. covered a lot and some important issues, and we'll be talking with you. Very good. Thanks, and have a good week. <laughs>